email us to the trade secrets at after the earth. Jesus Christ. <laughs> trade se- You're just not good at this. Uh, fuck. I, yeah. You know, I've only been doing these podcasts for a year and a half. half. You'd think that I'd be able to figure yeah. this shit out by now. Well spunked. Have you not been hearing me? Oh man, the goon. Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. Sorry the neurons aren't firing today. Yes, it is. Exactly. Cleanses the palate with zombies. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. Did I just have a stroke? That's a valuable misprint, sir. And now, your hosts, Luke Matthews. Everybody's in the midst of grief, and Reed Richards' wife is hitting on the new guy. And Bean. No. I mean, <laughs> there, uh, anyway. Joel Simon. And I'm still trudging through this book because there's got to be something redeemable about it. And at the end, he flips me off with an Eminem lookalike. And Andy Padel. Hey, Captain America, since you got sent back 50 years into the past, here's an idea. Write yourself a fucking letter. <laughs> Dear future me, don't go to the courthouse. <laughs> if you can build a robot to be a protocol droid, why the fuck would you make one that goes, <laughs> So it can make sarcastic comments that no one can understand. Uh, that, this is true. She's got a point. Hey, guys, don't shoot holes in Star Wars. All right. No, George Lucas spent enough time doing that. That's been done already. It's so 1999. Welcome, everybody, to episode three of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Matthews, and I'm joined today by Joel Simon. What? And Bean. Hello. And Andy Padel. What's up? Uh, Joel uh, failed to read this comic uh, in between shows. No, no, I've read the comic. He skipped over it and now he's reading it at the table while we're talking so if there's if there's long points where joel is silent that's because he's trying to catch up on his homework public so. humiliation really are you going to do this uh-huh, through uh-huh. The, okay. that's what this show's all about are all you right. kidding me that's what all these shows are all about right. <laughs> oh speaking of I'll public call you, humiliation call you out motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> shall i shall i speak of my own public humiliation mm-hmm. recently okay so uh, I randomly wandered in one lovely Sunday afternoon uh, into Arcane Comics in Ballard and ran into all of the backroom podcast guys, which is great and and possibly even fantastic. www.backroompodcast.com. And that was cool. Codcast? No. No. That's an entirely different... Alaskan Codcast. That's what this is. Like it's a. Oh, okay. Anyway, so Backroom Podcast. Backroompodcast.com. And they have lots of fabulous like interviews with tons of people at eccc and articles mm-hmm. and content and it's lovely and grand but in any case i i sat down to do an intro with them i bring up public humiliation simply because uh me doing the audio podcast somehow not all the brain cells were firing and it took me about 30 seconds into them filming for me to realize that it was in fact a video podcast <laughs> so if you watch me, my plug for this show on their show you'll see me like staring blankly into middle distance for about 30 seconds <laughs> if you look really closely you can you can see the shift possibly some embarrassment and uh, a little bit then of tiger blood. a little bit of tiger blood <laughs> and then occasional eye contact with the camera later on in the intro i believe it's episode 1 
112 yeah it's episode 112 okay. of the backroom backroom podcast um so i definitely want to give these guys a plug they yeah, they're um, very cool they're very cool guys they're another local podcast they film like and set it at arcane comics they had some really cool shit from from emerald city and uh they were nice enough to give us like they plastered our fucking web addresses all mm-hmm. over that beginning of that show like yeah. so let's give him a, another plug it's backroom podcast it's www.backroompodcast.com uh they're available on itunes and zune and all the usual places i think they're even on stitcher radio which we're trying to get onto uh, relatively the soon uh, the blogs and the twats hopefully you know at some point maybe we can have some of them on the show that would be really cool so mm-hmm. backroompodcast.com you wanted to say something joel no no i, I have nothing to say Okay. It, well. it, that's why I'm on this podcast, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. That's, that's the so, point of podcast. Um, uh, this show, uh, now that we've plugged the Backroom Podcast plenty, we're going we're gonna to move on and talk about, uh, eventually, Lock and Key, Welcome to Lovecraft. That's what this one's going to be about. Mm. Uh, but as usual, we'll start by going around the room and finding out what people are reading right at the moment. So one of you guys want to start? Go ahead. And uh, go. Okay, so I walked into Arcane Comics this Sunday, and then I left, and then I had no money. It was amazing. Um, I got, aside from Lock and Key, the first couple of trades, I got uh, The Five Fists of Science by Matt Fraction and Steven Sanders, which Dig is it. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it's, it's Nikolai Tesla Mark and Twain. Mark Twain versus J.P. Morgan and wait, Thomas wait. Edison <laughs> with robots and science. But, uh, you know. That's enough. I need to yeah. read this comic book. That's all you need right there. That's yeah. all you they need. got all the bases covered. I'm yeah. not saying it was like the most deeply intellectual comic I've read, but it was the most fun comic I've read in a long time. It's, it's a great. lot of fun. And it has the best cover I've seen for something in yes. a really long time. It's got Mark Twain all dynamic looking on the front. Oh, nice. Or is that Tesla? No, it's, it's, it's both it, of them. It's okay. a whole group shot. Yeah, it's all okay. Um, What else am I reading? Oh, I got an auction in the mail from an ebay auction for geek girl con which was neat because i was like random comics that i've never heard of i got a couple of like 10 issue runs of series that i'm sure have long since perished uh debbie <laughs> and snake woman which were both put out by avatar comics which apparently deepak chopra was semi-responsible for and they said virgin Wait, who knew? virgin comics as well not avatar like comics virgin comics. virgin comics i'm thinking yeah. avatar because it's uh i was gonna say i don't think deepak chopra was <laughs> responsible no. for avatar comics uh, virgin <laughs> comics which uh later became liquid comics uh, so it's all like indian mythology stuff and they're pretty interesting i've just started delving into them it, it, actually interesting or interesting because you don't want to say something bad about them at uh, the moment it's not that they're bad actually the, I'm reading the Snake Woman good. ones. It's not the whole series. It's like director's cut, which translates, we picked issues we like, and then we're right. going to give some backstory, which I would rather, you know, read the whole series. But there we go. Yeah. So yeah. jury's out on that one, but I will continue to read them, especially because they were cheap as crap. Can I plug Geek Girl Con, too? Go right ahead. As a geek girl, I feel the need to plug this thing. It's in October um, 8th and 9th, and it is in... The Northwest Rooms in Seattle Center, and it is a generalized celebration of geeky women. And which means that, like every other con on this planet, it's still only going to be about ten percent women. Actually, there there were more ladies at ECCC than I expected to see. Honestly, yeah, there were probably about fifteen percent. So mm, I think this one will have a higher percentage based on. I went to a geeky pub quiz, which was 
fabulous um and was like 60 percent women so that's pretty cool I just I just have horrible imagery of every geek guy in the area like seeing girls. geek girl con. Oh, that awesome. must mean there's going to be a shitload of geeky there girls, there, girls right? there. There will be girls there. There are girls there. I want to do them. Right. I cast a magic and, missile at the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> and I just see I just missile? see like you know, forty thousand geek guys show up to the to the thousand geek girls that are there, all hoping you know. The thing for is, any aside kind from of attention at all, because they staff, have sorcerer of light, there yeah. will actually be like women like me and many of my friends who are like, huh, I could hang out with other geeky women. Yeah. What a brilliant plan. I know my wife is is really hyped up for it. She mm-hmm. She's really looking forward to going. So um, the moment she saw the flyer, it uh, she got one at, they had, were handing them out at PAX last mm-hmm. year too. And she's been, she's been kind of excited for it ever yeah. since. Yeah. No, I think it'll be cool. So. Yeah, absolutely. So are guys allowed to go to yes, this? Yes, you're okay. allowed to go. I didn't know if it was a sexist thing. There's no cover no, no, for no. girls. It's, not like it's like a strip intense. club. Oh, okay, so it's like ladies' night. <laughs> but for a... That's lies. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No one wants extreme geek stripping. It, yeah. it cannot go. It's just all right. princess. Because that's what most other cons are anyway. Like, that's yeah. actually very Packs true. orgies. Inappropriate cosplay. Oh, God. Joel, what about you? What are you reading? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to burping up some na- Johnny Walker Green. Overcome the nausea. <laughs> mm, okay. So what I'm reading, I'm reading uh, Secret Warriors. So never really gotten to Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatnot. Have some Storenko. Haven't gotten into it yet, but wanted to go more modern. It's good stuff. It's modern day S.H.I.E.L.D. after Nick Fury leaves. Um, dealing with Hydra and uh, the super evil, super humongous um, corporation or whatever that it is. Some good twists and turns, good stuff. Uh, also, uh, reading Red Hulk. The Red Hulk is Jeff Loeb McGinnis. Um, not not a lot there. Well, one it's out of two ain't bad. A lot of, yeah, it's a lot of pulpy. It's it's kind of funny though. It, hold on, if Joel failed. No. So I'm just talking about Secret Warriors for a minute <laughs> I, while he's taking care Lord. of things. I hear the um, I hear the tinkling, and then I see Joel just reaching desperately for his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a, that's, that was that's, a little that's, disconcerting. You know, you hear tinkling and Joel reaching for his crotch. That's a, that's a pretty standard thing. It's weekly. No, you know, and it's one of those things. I think maybe it's nostalgia for for Hulk that I want to love it, but it, because of the old seventies uh, TV show and whatnot, but it just doesn't translate well into comic book. It's pretty much you have this protagonist who doesn't speak at all. Except in in really simple sentences. God, silence. There's a mute silence. There's a little, look, 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 watch. Click on. Click off. <laughs> Just try, it, Joel. That's all you. You, you guys can't off. see this, but I am flipping Andy <laughs> off right now. He, and he needs the middle finger. He still has another hand that he is not turning the phone on the silence <laughs> with. <laughs> all right. Hey, so and one of the, one of the funniest things was that that uh, Frank Cho does does one of the one of the little issues in this trade paperback and he really loves his muscular women. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Crumb went legitimate, and that's Frank Cho. But all his women look the same. I think the only difference between them is just the hair color, and of course she hulks in it and she's green, and that's the only way you know the difference. But it's a uh, it's it's okay. Frank. You got to take some good and some bad. Liberty Meadows. Yes, I know. That's okay. what I was going to say. Frank Cho knows how to draw his girls. Yeah, like him and him and Terry Dodson. Man, the two of them, they 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 yeah. They like a little badunka dunk. Yeah. Is, is, am I allowed to say that? Sure. A little junk in the trunk. Sure. That's what I've been reading. That's what you're reading. How does the song go? With imagination, I'll get there. 
Oh, I, I guess so. Oh. I'm not familiar with this. Sing it, Andy. You, uh, that's, that's, work. that's Yeah, no, that's only spontaneous singing. What? Only oh, spontaneous okay. singing. Uh, all right. So, uh, so right now, I just finished up uh, Res Blues, which is volume nine of Scalped. It's uh, Jason Aaron's first real major book. Uh, it's What's it, what is Scalped overall about? Because I've Scalp never read takes it. place on an Indian reservation, and there is a character named Dash Bad Horse who joins the army. And when he gets out of the army, he works for the CIA or the CIA or some government agency, trying to infiltrate a gang of basically thugs and whatnot who run the casino on this reservation, in mm. order to get them convicted for a crime that took place in the seventies. A lot of stuff has gone down since the book started. Uh, he is teetered dangerously on the edge okay. for the first half and just fallen completely out of his mind on drugs and he's murdering some people <laughs> and whatnot. It's just, it's uh, very similar to 100 Bullets in a lot of aspects. Okay. Um, my one thing, if readers want to pick it up, is grab a couple volumes because the art does take some getting used to. It's very, very blurry. Hmm. Uh, it's a stylistic choice and once you get used to it, it, it works out Really, really nicely. Interesting. Okay. Is it kind of like a... Oh, God. What was the name of the artist that did Daredevil, the Marvel Knights Daredevil for a little while? David Mack? Was that yeah, David Mack. Yeah. Early on. He, I don't think he was... He wasn't blurry, though. No, he's... He was... He was bizarre. Think, are you thinking David awesome. McKean? No, no, no. I, I, was, I was thinking of David Mack, and that's who okay. I was trying to say, thinking you could draw a comparison and if it's not like David Mack no. that's fine because no. David Mack's David Mack's artwork I was not a big fan of because it always looked like a like a fucking ransom note like to a, me and a, I just don't I think that's Dave McKean Dave McKean is like a 6th grade like collage project oh, yeah I love Dave McKean yeah. and I'll admit it to the and world you know what you probably like Neil Gaiman too I do oh, yeah Sandman it's amazing right but other than that uh, Fables volume 15 came out this week uh, Rose Red I'm actually kind of losing a little bit of interest in Fables. It's losing some steam. Hmm. Um, when the whole... They're diluting it a little bit. They've got... like the, There's the Cinderella book out now, too. And there's a bunch, there's of a bunch of spin-offs. Like Jack, Jack of Fables. Fables. Jack of Fables was Thanks. terrible. If you want to be entirely honest, I, I read the first two trades of Jack of Fables, and it was just boring as fuck. Is the second trade the one that takes place in the casino? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. The The... Jack of Fables, my problem with Jack of Fables is that Jack is only an interesting character when he has the other fables to play off of, and the other fables are, um, you know, playing off of him. And when he when you, we put him on his own, just in the regular world, dealing with normal people, he's just boring. He's a boring fucking character. I really think the, the book has lost some steam since the whole conflict with the adversary got sort of finished. They're They're doing new stuff, but it's like... Uh, maybe mm, just, well, maybe Bill Willingham is looking for what to do next because because mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling I, I to some degree I got the feeling that that Bill Willingham had this like conflict with the adversary in his mind when he caught came up with all of this but the comic book's so goddamn popular that once he finished out that storyline they're like no you got to keep going because it's selling and he's like uh, um oh, uh, okay and James uh, James John was like no that's cool I'm done yeah. Amazing, amazing work. Oh, yeah, I'll use amazing. I don't care. It's, um, other than that, I forgot. I don't have it listed, but I just finished up Joe the Barbarian. I have no idea what that is. Eight issue miniseries by Grant Morrison, and I can't remember who the artist is. It's uh, a kid who's diabetic, starts out in his attic, and realizes he needs his insulin, and proceeds to have an adventure trying to go downstairs to the basement to get the lights back on. <laughs> 
it goes eight issues because of the hallucinations he has. Wow. Really? It's I, I was I was gonna say or were drugs involved, but No. No, no. drugs, just uh Is this all natural Grant Morrison? Yeah. Huh. It's I mean, right. his, his all his toys. He's uh, fourteen, so he has a bunch of toys and whatnot, and he hallucinates all these toys as members of his army as he's going to invade, whatnot. And he has a pet rat that helps him out. <laughs> there's a, a brilliant two-panel spread where, in the spread, I've noticed Superman, Batman, Optimus Prime, some of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow. I mean, just anything you can think of that was a kid's toy at some point, <laughs> fighting against these dark forces. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I am. Uh I'm still reading Powers. I'm still on the second trade. Uh, I am. I just got myself caught up to the sixth hardcover of The Walking Dead. So I'm finally caught up at least through, what would the sixth trade be? That would be issue 72, I guess, because it's uh, 12 issues per trade. So, yeah, 60, 72. Um, um, what location are they at? They are, the, this one, they're in the, the, the seemingly too perfect town. Okay. And the, the trade ends with them, um, with nothing really happening. I swear to God, there's like seven issues of them in this town. And that's one of the things I was actually going to complain about is that I understand what's going on. I understand, you know, they find this town and it's got a wall around it and everybody in there seems happy. There's, you know, there's little quirks and little strangeness. And then... But it goes seven issues of nothing happening, right? Of them just getting introduced and, like, talking and blah, blah, blah. And I know Kirkman. I know he's setting me up for some kind of bullshit to happen. He's setting me up for everybody in this goddamn town to die. And half the people that are in the good guys are going to die. So it's just... And I know, and I, and I also understand that the comic book is on it on like issue eighty something, right? eighty six or eighty seven. So I understand that there's, I'm well behind. I'm like thirteen or fourteen issues behind, which is fine. The trade number seven comes out later this year. I'll, I'll grab that and I'll get caught up to that. But I'm not going to buy that in individual issues at this point. Um, but it's just, I think maybe I'm just being impatient. But it just kind of it's taking a little too long. You want the gore. I don't I don't want the gore I just don't like there's there's I understand that this comic is fucking depressing yeah. and that it's going to continue to be depressing mm-hmm. and I understand that in order to in order to make those story beats work and make them happen they have to set up like they have to set you up right they have yeah. to make you yeah. everything's going to go great for these people and then okay. oh my god yeah. you know right. and but it just it's just a little too much. It's like crossing over that line yeah. of, of Jesus, fuck, just get, yes, I understand, just get on with it, you know? You know, actually, now that's that's a series where I really, I really liked it. It was fucking brilliant because pretty much everything mm-hmm. up to that is their journey <laughs> through the world. Can I interrupt real quick? Guys, yeah. can we try to avoid, like, spoilers? Major spoilers? No, no, I'm not going to spoil anything. Okay, cool. I'm not going to spoil I, 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 so I'm just going to say one of the reasons why I liked when they go into, you know, Perfectville. It was pretty much the, sub- the suburbs with, with the wall around it. The reason why I liked it was because after all their adventures and everything they've, been, they've gone through, they hell can't and back, cope with that anymore. They exa- can't cope with Perfectville, yes. When, when they show up in Perfectville, they're the people that have changed. When everybody yeah. else is normal, then you realize that they're the bad people, and that's the one thing I liked. Just pull the fucking cork out. Yeah. Jesus. Sorry, I didn't know and, you guys were And so <laughs> it, they set it up to a point where after you go through this adventure and everybody's get their hands shut off, people are, have died. 
you get to the point where they go into this perfect society where everybody is safe and they can't take it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they have to they have to protect themselves and, and set up everything so they're so they're it's safe. Back to their comfort zone, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which and is it's it's died. pretty cool. And and the thing about you were saying no spoilers but I'm a year and a half behind, so I'm not gonna anything that I am saying up until up to and including the end of this particular trade. I the statute of limitations on spoilers is a little bit over. So if it were something, if I were talking about the current issue of Walking Dead, I would not I would not be spoiling stuff, and I, I understand that. But but when it comes to the hardcover trades, like. This is a spoiler-filled podcast. It always will be, especially for the trades that we're reading because 99% of the time these trades are going to be of stuff that has been out for a while. Yep. So everybody who's listening to the show should be aware that this is there are going to be spoilers on this show all the time. And we will disclaim that at the beginning of every episode. I know we forgot at the beginning of this one, of course, uh, but um, we're going to set it up so that we have a disclaimer at the beginning of every show for, for the fact that it's spoilerificus. So, um, uh, so I want to interject a story real quick when you're talking about it being depressing. So I know three people at my work who have every single trade at their desks uh-huh. it's for other people to read. And there's a guy who sits in front of me and he started reading two weeks, now three weeks ago. It took him a, a week to get through volume one, about two days to get through volume two. And he's been going through slowly every day, just reading a new trade. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just it, finished volume nine. I'm like, so how, how's that working out for you? He's like, it's so depressing. Oh my, everyone's dying. And there's, <laughs> and why well, do you people like this? Book. Come on. Okay. I think that, like, what you were saying with the people coming into society that's normal and realizing that they're irrevocably, like, fucked up and they can't deal. Yeah. I think, think that's the essence of all zombie literature. Yeah. Um, speaking of terrible spoilers, to completely spoil the ending of the 1954 novella version of I Am Legend. <laughs> Uh, like that was the most brilliant thing ever. Oh yeah, yeah it was. And then uh, they and was. then they fuck it up in the in and every version in, the movie, in every movie version that it, has ever been made. Yes. It it's is, something yes, it positive, and the whole point is that in the end, the vampires are the new society, and yeah. he's the fucked up. Outsider. There are two things. There are two things about the new movie that de- depressed me. One was the just stomach churningly saccharinely sweet ending that they put in it which is just ter- you uh, you look like you haven't seen it I haven't seen it Don't but I had it. a 7th grader describe the plot to me and that's all I need to yeah. know mm. um it was not good um the second thing that really bothered me about it was that the the vampires quote unquote were completely unintelligent in the movie like they were they were really? literal they were basically yeah. they were basically like 28 ghouls. yeah they were like feral dude and they were they were awful like one of the coolest things about that novella for me and one of the things that I really wanted to see them do in this movie was his best friend stalking around the outside of right? his house trying to draw him out and like screaming things into his house all night you know, trying to get him to come out of his house, uh-huh. and like none of that in the movie uh, at all, and it was depressing. so terrible. Like that, that that's the kind of things that just bothered me. Actually, about that. the most disappointing thing for me in the movie is that um, Will Smith never said, "Oh hell no," <laughs> because he we did, make did comic he? book movies based oh, on. Fuck, I, 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 I didn't watch it. Oh, you haven't watched it? And fuck what, no. What really sucked too was that the visuals in the movie were exceptional. Oh. Like, like the dilapidated New York, you know, the uh, the world being abandoned was really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. But the movie itself was just not good. Like, even even on its That's own, it. was just not 
was not a very good movie. Anyway, uh, we should probably move on. There's a few uh, comic industry things that we wanted to, to touch on. Uh, the first and, and probably brightest of them being uh, that the Eisner nominations were announced this last week. Um, what? I just noticed Morning Glories was on there. Yeah. Um, I I only I put down some notes for the uh, Best Continuing Series, Best Writer, and Best Penciler because all of those categories, uh, the creative teams for Chu and Lock and Key were nominated for both of them. Our first two episodes, or f- actually second and third episodes, which is really cool. Joe Hill, uh, John Lehman were uh, nominated for Best Writer along with uh, Ian Boothby, Jim McCann, and Nick Spencer. Um, and Best Penciler were Richard Corbin, Stephen Stefano, Rob Guillory, Gabriel Rodriguez, and Scotty Young. I'm a little disappointed to not see any Sixth Gun nominations anywhere in the Eisners at all. Um, because I personally think that it was it's one of the best ones that I've seen in years. But I think it's a travesty that Jason Aaron is not listed for Best Writer. No Matt Fraction. After looking at this list, I've realized that am I the comic book equivalent of an action movie fan? Because I don't see any of the comic books that I read on there. So I'm, it's like all the movies that I watch aren't on the Oscars, all the comic books I read. <laughs> I'm I, not in the Eisners. I mm. felt that way, too, when I looked at the complete mm. list of Eisners. Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know lock and key, but... When I looked at the complete list of the Eisner uh, nominations, yeah, they n- not much in there that I've actually heard of or read. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I hadn't heard of any of the like web comics that they had going on there. Yeah, so I'm not saying I'm you know completely cosmopolitan in my web comics, but I do read quite a few of them. <laughs> I am glad to see Chew and Lock and Key, though. I yeah. mean, they're, they're both exceptional books. That's why we picked them for the first couple of shows or a couple three shows. Uh, so one of Doug Tenapple's got nominated too. Just to give nice. him props, uh, I think in the young adult category, Gustopolis. Cool. Uh, the other thing that I, I just wanted to mention the the fact that uh, Be- uh, Legends of the Guard, the Mouse Guard Legends of the Guard anthology, got nominated for best an- best anthology, and I hope that that one's the one that wins because I'm a huge Mouse Guard fan. Like it's it's like Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, but medieval. So it's just awesome. I love it. Is there anything on there? Have you did you guys get a chance to look at the Eisner nominations? Do you have yeah. anything that yeah. surprises you or? I mean, aside from Jason Aaron not being in the nominations. Richard Corbin is best penciler. I don't see it. What book does he do? Uh, he's t- I, I could have written this down, no, but I, I failed. I don't remember what he got nominated for right now. His, his stuff just strikes me as a little bit too uh, cartoony and not comic bookish. Okay. Like, if you look at, um, to go to Lock and Key for a second. More so across the line from, from even, like, uh, Sixth Gun stuff? Yes. Okay. Ooh, can I do the next one? But <laughs> sure, go ahead. Hey guys, it's back to 1995. We've got all sorts of wackiness with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 160, The Death of Spider-Man, which comes Ultimate th- Comic Spider-Man, not Amazing Spider-Man. Sorry. It comes polybagged. Polybags. Two different covers, two different polybags. Oh, that's I wonder if these polybags will eat what's the uh, f- comics like the Superman ones did. Yeah, what's funny is that they're black with it's black with red with a red spider and red with a black spider. I, I was really really hoping to see the black with the red spider with like the the blood running uh-huh. on the spider because that would have been so perfect. <laughs> Coming full circle. So no, wait, wait, wait. I know. Hold on a second. I have I've killed all the brain cells that remember 1995. So <laughs> what is the significance of being polybagged? Death of Superman came in a black poly bag with yeah, okay. a red Superman logo that had blood dripping off it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it yeah. all makes sense. Yeah. And then everything else was polybagged. Like so, so it's it's X Force number one was polybagged with a trading card. We have, have we not learned from history? No, I, I, absolutely not. Because the next thing I was going to say is that 
Image back in like '95 or so did a, a thing called Flash Forward, where they published all their oh. twenty five uh, issue twenty fives like two years. Yeah, they were on like Don't issue eight to eight, eight to ten of most of their comics, and they went, "Oh fuck it, let's go skip ahead and publish issue twenty five, and then spend the next year and a half like bridging the gap." Now mm. I could see one comic that can book, go wrong. and that would be trailblazing, right? It was like, "Oh, we're going a different direction, and you're going to have to find out." But the whole publishing house is doing this. No, no, no. Okay. Back in 95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single image title. Which Spawn, admittedly Youngblood. at the time was only like six or seven titles. Uh, I think it might have been double digits. Barely. Uh, maybe. But uh, they all did these 25 issues. <laughs> okay. So Image, not learning their lesson back then, is doing it again. But okay. just with one title. Chew. Which is a shame. Really? It, it, Chew does not need gimmicks. Okay. No, it really it doesn't. doesn't. It has enough. It's, it's, yeah, I was going to say, it is a gimmick. Right? <laughs> so no, wait, now, now let's explore this because you said the writer only planned on 25 issues, right? Luke said that. I, okay. that's, that's what you heard? That's what I read in the, in the Omnivore edition. As his, he, when he said it was his original pitch, it was for okay. 25 issues. So they're actually right. going to publish the final page <laughs> of the issue and then go back and fill you in. Dude. Like that would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that would actually be kind of cool. <clears throat> the last story we wanted to comment on was uh, the fact that uh, this Monday, oh. Comic Book Resources reported, two days ago, Comic Book Resources reported that uh, uh, there have been a round of layoffs at Dark Horse, which is really, really unfortunate. Mm. Um, we wanted to kind of throw our condolences out to everybody who did lose their job because yeah. that's really terrible. Um, I've, I've actually, I mean... I've been through something similar. I was actually caught in one of the rounds. I worked at Wizards of the Coast for a while and got caught in a round of layoffs there. Um, uh, it it's uh, there's varying numbers, but uh, the, most of the reports are saying that seven people got laid off, which doesn't sound like a lot, except for the fact that their offices are really small. Mm-hmm. The actual publishing house itself is is very small, so seven people is actually a pretty significant number, um, and. We hope that everybody, you know, lands on their feet. That would be awesome. You know, get hoping that for the people that are still there, it is not too traumatic and weird. Absolutely. So, and the one thing that I wanted to mention on is this fucking dill hole, Aaron Coulter. Uh, He's a sales guy that got fired from Dark Horse last month. And a lot of the stories that are talking about these uh, layoffs are deciding to quote his fucking douche ass uh, <laughs> while he decides to be a dick, basically, to all the people that are getting laid off. He's more being a dick to the company by telling them, you know, by saying things like, well, all of their, you know, their decisions of certain properties to publish was was retarded because they were expensive to create and produce and their print runs were too high and they were losing money and and. Yada yada, but um, it's just his his quotes are tasteless in my opinion, uh, yeah. especially in light of people like good people losing their jobs. And I think that uh, I, I really wish that the publications out there that were reprinting his his quotes would stop it. Even though I know it makes for a good story, it's still the guy is being a fucking dick, and I it just bothers me that he's. And what being kind of that source way. is that? What kind of source is that? Exactly. Some douche that got fired from the company. There's probably a reason why he got fired before the layoffs. Like the layoffs now (laughs) were the reason why they're running out of money and they just had to cut their overhead. This guy got cut early because, of course, he's a douchebag. Obviously. I believe the person they hired to replace him is still there as far as I know. Oh, that's cool. There you go. Nice. Honestly, I I thought you were talking about Ann Coulter. (laughs) <laughs> so maybe maybe it's just like a namesake. Maybe thing. they're cousins. It really yeah. is. Yeah, no so. doubt. Good luck to everybody that got laid off from Dark Horse. We wish you all the best. Sorry to hear that. 
especially because it, it it it's kind of hits close to home because I know that they're you know they're only a few hours away from us. They're down in Portland, and I know quite a few people that uh, that know people who work or worked at at Dark Horse at I some time. I know t- people that work at Dark Horse. Yeah, they're good people. Yeah, I think they're still good. podcast cock blocker right there that's just as good a segue so let's yeah. start talking about uh lock and key uh, we over the last two weeks we have all read well except for joel anyway have all read lock and key welcome to lovecraft i read it two years ago does that count no not okay. really that's you're kind of missing the point of the show name sir. the family what name the, the family the lock family kids names um there you go uh, Jan, Marsha, <laughs> and Greg, right? right? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. No. Oh my God, I would love to see what was the, a, a Brady Bunch lock and key mashup. No, I just, oh yes. just want to see the dad from Brady Bunch get murdered with an axe and then tossed in a gutter. Oh. No, okay, so so I might not remember like particular like key moments, but I know the whole story over it, like what it, what it entails, like what had happened back then. I, I know I remember this. No, I'm, I'm still almost there. So, almost. Uh, Lock and Key is a comic book started in February of 2008, at least in individual issues. It is written by Joe Hill, and it is illustrated by Joe uh, Gabriel Rodriguez. The trade paperback that we are reading came out in October of 2008, and has since been republished multiple times in multiple Four. forms. The story takes place surrounding uh, a family, the Lock family, with an E. With an E. Uh, the story takes place. Primarily centering around their three kids and the mo- the mom in the story. At the very beginning of the book, spoiler, their dad gets killed. Um, in He's got next. A pretty, killed the family. Yeah, in a pretty awesomely creepy scene. Um, we mean awesome like space, not awesome like a hot dog. Uh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> Causing That's, of awe. That is amazing. <laughs> the story follows them as they are kind of they they deal with their dad's death and are shipped across the country to a house that the family owns uh, in a, a little island community called Lovecraft, Massachusetts. And the it's the house thematic. that they move into is called Key House for very good reason. I don't know really where to where to step into the conversation of this. So maybe okay. uh, maybe I do. we can. Okay, you this go right ahead. This is another artifact story, which is great because we love artifact stories. They're awesome. Yes. Um, aside from the whole like murder and dealing with that plot. The thing about the key house is there are a series of keys that have a specific mystical power. This is an awesome recipe for making great fiction because there's a nice interplay of like the mystical powers of these keys and there's a really great interplay that just builds throughout the series, um, me having read the first two trades, of 
childhood versus adulthood. A lot of the characters are uh, the two older children are teenagers. They're on the cusp of adulthood. Their younger brother is like he's supposed to be like six or something. Bodhi is five. Yeah. Bodhi's five yeah, and five. is the by far the coolest character yeah, in the book. Is. So anyway, continue. in the first book, yeah, because uh, he has a pers- as a, like five five six year old. He has a weird perspective on the events that are happening in a way that is completely different from his siblings yes. and also completely different from the adults. And there's a is there's some really wonderful interplay of like the innocence of childhood, but not really innocence. Um, because obviously the whole story with, you know, hey, uh, he's got an axe, he killed your family, is a loss of innocence thing. But uh, I really liked the the way that they dealt with each character, kind yeah. of trying to And how they deal with it, like a, yeah. a truly traumatic event. I, right. I don't think there could be anything more than that, because they got terrorized. It would, honestly, and, and, you know, that's that shows the brilliance of Joe Hill in his writing is that the fact that he can he can have all these different characters and then how they go through this event and come out on the other side and what happens with them. Because the mom afterwards is completely fucked up mm-hmm. like she can't handle it. The daughter handles it in a one way than the older brother does. And and the little son or the Brody Bodie 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 B-O-D-E. OK, huh, I was sure said it's not Bode in my head. But. OK, anyway. <laughs> What is your fascination with Peter's? No, what? Well, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like Peter Pan. <laughs> okay, that's a little introspective. Anyways, <laughs> so but the thing is, is that he doesn't really understand what's really going on, but he kind of does. But he deals with it in his own way, and um, that's the one great thing about this is how all the characters react to this event, and they're revisited by this event too. Um, and it's just a really great story. That's one of the reasons why I say that Bodhi is one of the best characters in this first trade because I love the way that, one, I love the fact that he's written as an intelligent child instead of a stupid little kid. Yeah. And I like yeah. the fact that um, the way he deals with things is to kind of just, you know, turn everything into fantasy in, to some degree mm-hmm. where, um, you know, where anybody else on the planet would get freaked out by by you know you open a door step through it and die and then float around as a spirit you know at will and then can go into your body at any time anybody else would be freaked out and what does he do he does it and then he writes a cartoon about it and Mm -hmm. then he tells his mom oh well i you know i looked around for dad but i couldn't find him you know and it's that that moment in the book is kind of one of those weird little like sort of heartbreaking moments mm-hmm. where the you tell the kid is is he's just kind of offhandedly like well I looked around for dad but I I couldn't find him and you you could tell the mom is just like torn apart by it totally. um I mean the mom is plain and simple just she is broken yeah yeah, yeah. which is, is fair I, I mean, mean no it's like I I can't say oh I'd be fine in that situation no. I'd get you know I'd just play oh hey new husband no no no, no. I I would also be alcoholic and filled with despair yeah, and that's the the things that I liked about the early parts of the story in this book were um, that you like to sneeze. Apparently, so I'm gonna talk for a second while Luke is making awkward facial motions. Sorry, <laughs> that was a really. <laughs> you want me to give you another second here because I actually have a valid point. Ooh, okay, so do you guys ahead. know if the mom was um, the the, way, the reason she walks with the the cane was that because from the um, that the was assault? from the event? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she's she's left with scars. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, 
the thing that I liked about the early parts of this story was that like any good horror uh, situation, they left the right things implied, mm-hmm. right? Where things like the kids getting back at the the killers or the mom killing uh, the one dude with the axe and stuff, those are brutally gory and violent and as they as they should be because one of the things about any good horror story is one that you care about the people that are involved and two you get some sense of satisfaction when they get when the bad guys get what they deserve i I would actually say that one of the key things is that you can you know actually show certain things however you need to let the reader's imagination be like okay what's the worst possible thing that this reader can think of for the situation the mom just got assaulted in you know a room and it doesn't show you that assault really take place it shows the killer walking out of the room and the mom is back in the room and she's you know been cut up and whatnot you don't know exactly what happened you just know that you know she was attacked exactly you you give a shit about the characters because as i said with with both of the last books the things that that drive these stories to me are the characters like the artifact story in and of itself is actually interesting and that's um that's kind of the the hook that keeps you going but it's how the characters deal with that yeah, artifact really story is. that makes it makes it cool um joe hill's writing like you really get a good sense of of what has happened to all these characters and, and in a fairly short period of time because this mm-hmm. is only a six issue miniseries or six issue arc of the series is what I should say. And and the series is going to be six issues or six. There's going to be six books, each containing six issues. That's thematic. Each character is kind of broken in their own way, but dealing with it in a positive way, which is why what which is why of all the characters in the book, Kinsey's the one that. Uh, I'm frightened for her future more than any other <laughs> because she's, I'm, I'm not going to say positive, but probably the most positive, like the one that's dealing with the thing, at least in this book, in the most positive fashion. I don't know. I think Bode's pretty positive, honestly. Bode is, but... but He doesn't know better. Uh, that's what that's I was going to say. Like, like Kinsey's old enough to know better, especially when they, when they show the scene of her when she's sleeping and and Bodhi is is watching her right like he's a ghost and he's watching her sleep and he can tell that she is remembering when she was stuck on the roof hiding and holding Bodhi and keeping him quiet and biting you know biting her lips so hard that she bled she's like aside from Tyler is one of the has the most knowledgeable fear of what happened and she's one of the ones that's dealing with it the best right she you know, she changed herself, and she she makes a very good point that she's kind of burying it. She's not yeah. really dealing with she's it as much really as dealing. she's just kind of like, I don't talk about the past. She changed herself entirely so that she yeah. wouldn't ever have to be asked the question, right? And that that part of her life is off limits. But I don't know why, but I'm worried that she's the one that's going to get fucked the worst, you know, because of of the way she's dealing with it. Eventually, you know, Tyler eventually is probably going to get screwed. He's got a lot of baggage. He's got a lot of baggage, but he's also that he's he's they prove in this book that he's already to the point where he kind of doesn't just doesn't care anymore. Well, yeah, he's the he's the one I, that had the I think had to do the most. Right. Through, oh, absolutely. Through the whole book. He has so much guilt. He he yeah. sort of wished for something 
terrible to happen to his family and then something terrible did happen to his family and now he has like wicked survivor's guilt. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Seriously. And he also he, he's also the one that had to step up into the role when he he got what he wished for and now he has to deal with the burden of the responsibility of what he, you know. I mean, I know honestly his actions didn't bring about what happened, but also he also has to deal with what what is done with with you know what has happened with his family. As the oldest brother, of course, is the one that's that feels responsible because they they do show the scene where he's he has kind of given up and then and then it what what I thought was a really really cool scene when Bodhi comes in the room and he's kind of like he's kind of like well you know who's going to answer those really important questions for Bodhi like what the fuck's the punchline to this knock knock joke type you know and and it's like <laughs> like I really liked that moment because it's it shows Tyler is like is like. In a, in a sarcastic kind of flippant way, he still understands that he's responsible for his brother and sister, even though that even though you know he doesn't feel like he should be. Okay, so I'm going to mention one thing that I like and one thing I don't like about Joe Hill's writing. Uh, I really like the way that he every character has their own viewpoint and their own personality quirks, which shows through in their you know their dialogue. Uh-huh. However, like Joe Hill really has hit some of the characters, like Bodie. Um, he does a really good job with the main antagonist, whose name I cannot think of at the moment. You know, Sam Lesser. Sam Lesser. Okay, uh, like the the dialogue from those characters, I can't think of them saying other things in those situations. Mm-hmm. However, there's a couple of panels where the mom is speaking, where it just it comes across as somewhat forced. I can see that. I think. I think you're dead on. I think I can somewhat defend it by saying that, especially like the more I read in the second trade paperback, I was like the more the adults came off as just a little bit off because they're coming from an adult perspective. Yeah, maybe but that, uh, maybe that's because he was raised by Stephen King. I, that as well. That as well. well. What would a normal dad do? Okay, so when my dad was writing it, he uh, he locked himself in a room for three months straight, and then he got hit by the truck, and then he wrote some other stuff. Too soon. It was ninety nine. Ninety nine. He's processed it. He 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 wrote about it already. Was it ninety nine? It was ninety nine. I agree, actually, to some degree that that the the parents almost seem like the mom and the uncle almost seem like kind of cast off characters that are just there because they have to be right. Because in any in any story you tell about children, the parents have to be present because there has to be some kind of like real world grounding to why those kids are in the situation they're in or or where, you know, who's taking care of these kids because somebody's going to ask that question. Right. It's always going to be like, who's taking care of these kids? And well, as Wheaton e- can do it. <laughs> and Jesus, <laughs> <she's> you <laughs> asshole. Uh, and even as old as Tyler is, they that question would still get Actually, asked. How, Tyler's 17? Uh, yeah, something like that. He's supposed, yeah. supposed to be like a junior or senior in high okay, school. Okay, Will, so. Will Wheaton couldn't do it if he was a few years older. Than <laughs> that. Um, uh, did you guys notice that they are coming out with a TV series of Lock and Key? Yes, yeah. yes. And seriously. I looked at the casting. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Fox, I think. Okay. Really? And move yeah. on. Fox? I think so. No, I don't want to move on. I want to talk about this. Okay. Like, no, okay. I want to take a leak while you guys are talking about this. I, All right. I, do it. <laughs> I did not know that it was going to be on a network, yeah. especially not Fox, which means it'll probably be good, which means they'll cancel it after right. six episodes. That's exactly what they do. So, mm. um, I, The casting looked okay to me. From what I saw, the only one that I was a little bit like, but uh, was the mom who was uh, Miranda Otto. 
No, I can kind of see that. And I think that... Uh, Give her like, black hair and I can kind of see that. I could kind of see that. I hope she like brings some slightly more flavor to the mom, but... Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so too. I think... Um, in in if you want my honest opinion, the 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 casting of anybody of the any of the older characters like Tyler, the mom, the uncle, um, any of those is is less important than the casting of Bodie and Kinsey. Totally. Um, if they can, they need desperately to to find kid actors that can pull off Bodie and Kinsey. There's a kid. There's a kid that's popping into my head that I, that I thought should play Bodie, but I, I'm like I, I can see him in my mind and my like I've got a picture of him but i can't i don't recall having heard of from, any of so. the any of the actors except for yeah. miranda Otto. so okay well luke while you're thinking about this i'm gonna bring up a conversation joel and i had in uh, the car and this is why I, i'm not happy with the idea of lock and key being turned into a tv show because in order for a tv show to be successful it has to be mediocre you have to yeah. target the lowest common mentioned denominator. that as you were walking away and that's why it's going to be a fox six good six. show that good show that lasts six episodes, episodes and fox cancels, cancels. It. or it's going to be a okay show that goes the total duration, and then people will associate that story with this title as opposed to Which a really tragic. good book yeah. that Joe Hill has written. Yeah. Which is why I'm disappointed to see it coming out on a network, right? Because if they did it as a Showtime or an HBO show, or like even even AMC, because they've proven with Walking Dead that, that they can do you know some pretty decent stuff with that show on, on AMC, um, I think that they could... Like, I think the closest to network that they could get without completely fucking things over is FX, which maybe Fox, because FX has done some really good stuff, some really edgy stuff. The Shield was on FX for its entire run. Um, So they they can do stuff. But once if if they're putting it on core Fox, it's not going to last. So when I first when I first read Lock and Key, it was a while ago, and I had just watched a miniseries before this that was kind of Lovecraftian. It was The Lost Room. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. I have not. It's a great show. It was a miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel, but basically it was about this this room that was sucked into a different dimension. Did it have a giant octopus in it? No giant octopus. Did it have a chupacabra in it? No. No. Did it have it a was, mega shark? No. It was more about. Sasquatch. Wait. God. No. Did it have an ice God, tornado? Handle it. No, no. Actually, it was a good show. It was a good show, and the whole the whole premise behind it was there was this lot. This this guy's daughter had gone into this room and got lost. As soon as you close the door, everything changes. Right, everything that's not in that room when it was originally sucked into the warp is just gone into the ether. So this guy was what he was trying to do is find all these artifacts that would replace the room to what it was before. And then he could have his daughter back. But these rooms were like uh, a comb that when you comb your hair, it stops time. Or a, a clock that when you open it up, it sublimates brass and it turns to you know vapor. It's just really weird kind of artifacts. But they would do weird stuff in the real world. And there, there were people that were searching after these artifacts because they were somehow tied into seeing god it was a really it's a really great show it was only a miniseries that lasted maybe four seasons or four episodes four or five episodes but it was great and it was kind of in the lovecraft kind of supernatural theme so when i read lock and key and there was a whole idea that they had these keys that could do different things i was like oh this, okay this is right down right in my wheelhouse and i'm 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 all for it and also there's the fact that they have these normal family that just moves into this seemingly normal house and all of a sudden really bad things happen to mm-hmm. them 
And that's the one thing that there, it wasn't, it wasn't anything supernatural, no giant octopuses or mega sharks or Cthulhu tentacle demons. Vagina dentata. Exactly. Or any of those biting off any kind of member. And it was just real life happening to people. And then all of a sudden supernatural kind of gets rolled into it. Yeah. And that's the one cool thing that I really liked about this, this story. And it, you know, I think this will work on TV because there's not, there's not a lot of, a lot, a lot of gore, and like you were saying before, really? everything's kind of implied. Well, okay, there's some there, axes and heads. There was an axes Scissors and heads, but, but that's something a you can giant put in bullet Tarantino. hole bullet through hole the through entire. The I, you, I've we've seen that before. Bullet holes in people. That's you fair. Know, if it's a corpse, and it, okay, if it doesn't get that way, if it's the, the body that is shown that way, yeah, yeah. you can see. So, so there's also. Um, I, I want to bring this up because I, I know a lot of people, a lot of people who haven't actually watched the show rail on the show, uh, but. One show that proves that they can do some of that kind of stuff on a network is Supernatural. Um, I don't know a lot, a lot of, of people. Things about that. It is it is a really good show. The first uh, to to divert for just a second. the f- The first season is very much Monster of the Week, right? It's yeah. it's very much like a it's a WB show. It's two brothers hunting monsters of the week. Although the acting is really good and the storyline is is pretty fun to watch. After season one, they start doing like more overarching storylines they start introducing new characters the show is actually don't they fight the devil really or good like yeah they um, the show is actually shockingly good I, it's one of my favorite TV shows can I throw in one pseudo snide <coughs> comment so what you're saying is that there's a supernatural themed show that the first season was monster of the week and that didn't work so after that they started doing overarching stories <sighs> yeah where was it the X-Files? No, I was actually thinking, uh, what's that one show that they love? Oh, Buffy. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah, it's... Also um, the X-Files. It's actually much more serious than Buffy ever was. Like, there's really? not nearly as much tongue-in-cheek stuff as, as Buffy has. No Scoobies. There are some funny... There are some fucking hilarious-ass episodes of that show. Don't get me wrong. Back to Lock and Key. What I, what I was saying about the TV show, anyway, is that I, I think if they could get the same creative team and the same kind of feel that the later seasons of Supernatural have, um, it's very much a horror TV show, right? That they are. That's what they are playing. They are playing on Supernatural horror as as the, the theme of the show, and that feel would right. work, I think, really well for this. If they can get that to work, I, I have absolutely no faith in Fox whatsoever. Nope. None. So I don't think it's actually going to work. Okay. So. so to come back to the to the trade and, and away from the TV show, I think I think we're all kind of on the page that it's it's definitely a wait and see thing because I mean at least like I think Powers is being yeah. produced for like HBO, isn't it, or something like that? No, it's, um, is it is it AMC it. again? AMC. Is it AMC? Okay, then I then Walking Dead has sold me on AMC's ability to do something more gritty. So I mean, they AMC's might not. Ability to do yeah, they might not have the want. monkey sex, but at least they'll have a. <laughs> <laughs> at least they'll have the violence. Um, <laughs> and really, if you have to choose between the two, I'm going to take violence over monkey sex any day of the week. Yeah, probably. I mean, unless unless they find a way to get what? Christina Hendricks naked, because then <laughs> then I w- I would spend two hours watching her brush her teeth for Christ's sake. So, so like, anyway. liked her ever uh, since. That would Firefly. be the Fox yeah. version. Uh. So back to the book. Um, can we talk? Can we talk about Gabriel Rodriguez's art? For that's a while? where I was actually going to head next. Neat. So you you can go ahead and start this off. Okay. Um, my first impression was like he uses a lot of line, and everyone's shins are huge. High My, five, sister. Wait, wait. No, the, no, no, no. Actual high five The, here. the literati five is sister. critiquing the art now? Uh, hey. Oh, damn. I like it's pictures what this shows as about. well as words. Um, 
the more I read, though, the more I liked the style. Like I, it took me a while to to get to get into, but once I was into it, I was like, okay. And one of the things that I think he does, whether intentionally or not, I have no idea, is because everyone's like facial features are so scooshed in the middle of their face, um, that makes characters like the woman in the well look who have you know semi quote normal facial alignment look totally bizarre and ethereal and unnatural great crazy eyes i love his crazy eyes okay now there's where i'm gonna disagree really no actually i should not it's not a disagreement because you're right he does do great crazy eyes it's that everybody's eyes look identical yeah the kids eyes look the same as the adults eyes look the same as the girls and the women's now yeah that being said uh, um i i kind of feel the same way as Anne that like when i first picked up the book i was like maybe this art doesn't fit the style too much i i was it's like such heavy line work and and bright colors that i was like i I was worried that it wasn't gonna fit he reminds me of joe Um, madeira Um, yeah to a little to a certain degree like the facial structure not necessarily the the style of the lines or anything yeah how there's like the the squished faces inside the giant heads there there are a couple things about gabriel rodriguez's art that i'm not sure i can't quite tell if it's if it's a a benefit or a detriment to the book, but sometimes his style is a, it's a little cartoony, and in some of the scenes that are very violent, uh, it tends to soften the violence to some degree. And the two scenes in particular that I would like to bring up: the first is when Sam Lesser escapes from the prison, and there's the scene where he where he pulls stabs the, the scissors uh, uh, apart and stabs right. the guard. That is very like. It's it's very cartoony. The blood that's coming out is very like you know it's goopy. very goopy and it's very cartoony and the the scene is kind of like ah everybody's got these weird poses yeah and then the second scene that that I think was kind of uh, lessened was when he when he steps out of the the truck and he's getting on the bus and the seat they show the scene through the cab of the truck and the the truck driver has been stabbed through the eye with a uh with a crowbar and he's kind of he's kind of leaned back under the thing and it's 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 like a tire iron or something it's like a tire iron yeah and it's he i i don't think it's a bad thing necessarily but i think that um it's not quite as um impactful as it could be uh because of that but maybe just maybe that's a good thing for the book because then when people are reading the book it isn't as impactful right it isn't as creepy and it isn't it doesn't hit them quite so hard with these with kind of the super violent parts that happen in the book i think you get all the creepy scenes right we were talking about this a little bit earlier luke like there's a lot of scenes and to me they had a similar theme of like you as the viewer know more than the characters do within the story of like Sam Lesser driving up and, you know, telling the mom that he borrowed his truck from his uncle and you can see the bodies in the back of it or, uh, you you know, the, you know, that something bad is going to happen, but as the viewer, being a passive viewer specifically, there's nothing you can do other than watch the tragedy unfold. Right. Like Bode looking up because his mom's calling him in and the thing from the well is coming up behind him. Yeah. That that scene specifically, I remember reading through this a second time and seeing this one panel where Bodhi is sitting on the window of the well and there's an entire scene where he's basically talking to the echo, telling the echo, you know, and he's sitting there. This is one of the scenes that I really like because it's a 
uh, a two-page spread with 12 panels, you know, flipping between Bodhi and the and the well, and he's got the flashlight in his hand, and, you know, like a little kid, little details, he's, like, clicking the flashlight on and off and clicking the flashlight on and off, and he's talking to the chick in the well, and then that one panel where you see him turned away from the window and fucking the well, the echo coming out of the well, and she's all in shadow, and all you can see her is your eyes, like... This is one of the few moments when reading a comic book where I I've actually like actually felt tension, right? Like you would in a movie. In a movie, if you're watching this in a movie and you saw that scene yeah. and the kid turns away and then this thing kind of crawls up out of the well, you get that kind of like tension like from the oh, ring, yeah. you know, yeah. where you're like, Oh fuck, you know. That panel was one of the best, like w- one of the best lead ups and then one of the best like uh, kind of closing panels uh, yeah, for that scene. Yeah. So good. There's a, there's a lot of that in this book where, yeah. where there's a lot of like tension. I wouldn't exactly call it torture porn, but there's, there's a lot of time where when the guys first attack the family and they, they have the mom, they killed off the dad and the kids don't exactly know what to do. And if you put yourself in that situation, like if your parents are dead, you got, there's guys that are killing your family. What exactly would you do? Would you run? I would, I would hightail it somewhere, you know, call the cops or something like that. But if you're on this tiny little Island, you can't run anywhere. What are you going to do? You're trapped. You, you have to make some decision on whether you're going to fight or you're going to, or you're going to flight, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to run away. And that's what, that's what uh, Tyler did was he actually decided to fight and stand up and, and fight this monster. And it seems like as you're going along with this story that this isn't the only time that this has happened. And they later on express that later on that that this is some kind of ancient evil in this house that's been trying to get out. And you mm-hmm. can see... Am I, am I spoiling something? No, no. Oh, okay. But you can see that this is kind of like a story that's been perpetuated throughout this, the centuries, you know, and it's a perpetual evil or a, the ultimate evil that's trying to get out. The big bad. Uh, yeah. Right. As it were. <clears throat> which, which is why um, when the Echo is talking about that to Bodhi and they said, he said, you know, or she says, you know, kids always think they're coming into the story at the beginning when mm. in a- when in reality they're probably coming in more toward the end. Like I I, yeah. I, I love that set of dialogue too. Yeah. Back to Joe Hill's writing, I, just like, um, and it's definitely creepy too. It's this ancient, this ancient evil saying like, "I am going to escape, and you're going to be you're going to be the." I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to. I'm going to escape. escape. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to be the reason why I get away. It's all your yeah. fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I like the subtle things that are are in there. Like I'd forgotten about that quote that you mentioned, Luke, and also the time um, when the echo in the well has the mirror, and the thing reflected in the mirror is yeah. not the same thing as you see, and that is not really explicitly dealt mm. with in the first book. In the first book, no, no, it isn't. Uh, and also, there's a, another thing that you you see that you were saying that the that you write they have big chins, right? Well, if you look at <laughs> if, if you look at Tyler, but if you look at Tyler and the dad, they're pretty much the dad yeah. is Tyler with a mustache, right? You know, so you can see that he's probably going to take the same journey that his father went through. And they're going to have to go through the same trials and tribulations. It's kind of like history repeating itself mm-hmm. until somebody gets it right. Yeah. So um, we've had a lot of discussion, and I thought I'd bring up the one question that we did get for the show uh, on Twitter. At uh, Russell Nance, uh, I believe that's his full name on Twitter, um, 
sent us a question and his, his question is what is the symbolism of the wolf and zach wells is it just the form that zach likes or is it more um so first off we disagreed if it was a wolf a dog or a coyote or a coyote yeah uh it kind of looks like a coyote, but then again, I don't know if Gabriel Rod- that's part of Gail- Gabriel Rodriguez's art style or He's Chilean. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a wolf in in Chile. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I, honestly, a chili I wolf think... or a chili dog. I am just dying today. Yeah, yeah. It, you're fantastic. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, so, so let's <laughs> to to kind of answer the question. Let's let's go off the assumption that it is a wolf, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe he knows more than we do. Maybe that's been spoken somewhere later. Natural predator. Um, the first, well, the first thing that I do want to say is that, that I'm not sure there's a whole lot of symbolism to be had from the first book because the wolf only appears once in a dream and it's not directly tied to Zach in any way in this particular book. Um, I know that it happened that later in later books, it gets tied to Zach, but, um, but yeah, I mean the. So as I was talking to these guys before the show, I, I said my my only response to this question, unfortunately, comes from the brief amount of uh, learnings that I got about symbolism and and specifically about wolves in college, which was fucking a thirteen years ago. You're wow. so old. I'm really old. Um, which is that that the wolf has always been has always had kind of this like dual symbolism in, in many mythologies and many cultures. One has always been like a symbol of death and destruction, especially to like Norse cultures. It's always been like a symbol of, of destruction and, you know, the wolf um, that eats the world the, at Ragnarok. It, exactly. It's going to chew through its own chains and eat the world at Ragnarok. And, um, and then Fingerous. in, uh, yeah, That's exactly. The one. And then in, other cultures, including you know everything from Roman to to Native American cultures, there has been this view of the the like the the she wolf as a nurturer, mm-hmm. right? And so, bringing both of those together, and here's my college level analysis: <laughs> there has also always been a um, uh, an image of the wolf, like kind of a as as a dual nature, right? There, there's this thing where, you know, because there are, there are images of the wolf as both a nurturer and a destroyer. They've kind of morphed into this, you know, image where the wolf can, can house a dual nature in it. I think that's accurate for the character of Zach Wells. Exactly. Because Zach Wells obviously has terrible destructive plans, but is not coming at it in a destructive way. Exactly. And in, even, even in other more, I guess the word would be obvious ways. He carries the key that allows him to step through a door and change his gender, right? So in some parts, like he comes out of the well, Zach comes out of the well as the echo, as a female, and then goes through a door and becomes Zach and becomes a male. And that's the, that's the dumb, you know, superficial level analysis of the duality, but you're right. Like Mm -hmm. he's got clearly Zach has plans, um, to you know destructive plans like you said and and so i don't i don't know i i i need i definitely need to read more into the book i need to read how that kind of how that symbolism develops if it does I, and i need to read the book <laughs> yes yeah. that that would be that, that would, would be helpful be a good start yeah yeah uh, okay 
you planning on actually like paying attention for the next few shows and actually reading the books that we that we want to in the correct order i (laughs) honestly what i thought i was just the token (laughs) but which which you guys actually want me to read wow Okay. I never I, learned to read. Okay, so we've got you can, to, we've you can fail to read, and we can continue to to rag on you for it. I mean, that could uh, be your place in the show. Okay, so we've gotten Luke's two cents on this, and you got any input aside from what Luke has about the symbolism? Yeah. Um, I thought you gave her input. I am a literary theory nerd, which is terrible to confess because, as someone who is also a writer, um, I get people giving me the stink eye. Either you're too intellectual, or a published or writer. Check out Anne's novel, Freedom Land. Yay! Awesome. Wow! Uh, plug, plug. Thank you for plugging. Yeah. Um, that sounded incredibly dirty. <laughs> Especially considering it was coming from two guys who were sitting across on each side from you. Yeah, they yep. both plugged you at the same time. I'm not sure. No. Oh. Physics. I'm, I'm thinking about what is, okay. what is the symbolism in that. Anyway. Anyways. So symbols, <laughs> and the great thing about them Continue. is they have these, uh, as it were, slippery <laughs> little meanings. No. <laughs> oh, uh, getting worse. Okay, okay, sweet. It's like a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> right? It's a trap. Uh, I'm so sorry. I just saw chasing uh, last weekend. Anyways, uh, oh my anyway, God. the point is whether or not, like, I like that it's ambiguous. Whether or not it's a wolf, it's a coyote, it's a dog, whatever. All of those have really interesting. Meanings that we can stick on there and be like, ooh, like Coyote's a trickster, Wolf has the whole duality thing that Luke, Luke has nicely put forth for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a whole bunch of fairy tale symbolism that goes along with all those kinds of animals, which is interesting if you red layer over it. Yeah. Like, which is what interests closing. me about it being a coyote, because yes, the, the, the coyote is a trickster, like that's blatant symbolism <laughs> like that's not even that's not even like symbolism so much as it's just like blatant attachment but so let me ask you guys this question zach do you think he's more of a hunter or a scavenger i think he's a scavenger but i also don't know from the first book he seems more of a scavenger because I would agree. he's just trying to get back to normal and kind of get get back at the people that somehow fucked him in the past right um, he's not he's not actively hunting or causing problems. I don't think. Judging by I, again, we're only talking about the first book. I haven't gone beyond it, so I'll, anybody who's read beyond it might be able to offer more in depth insights. But but based on the first book, it seems like he's just he's coming back from some sort of betrayal or tragedy. Um, he's not actively trying to cause an issue. Or cause a problem. I think he's very passive aggressive in yes. his modalities, which is. I, I thought evil. he was a hunter, but now I think you might have convinced me that he is kind of a scavenger, mm-hmm. because he doesn't actively go out and ruin these people's lives. But he if lets he, them ruin their own lives. Exactly. Strategically. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. A little push here, a nudge there, maybe a, a whisper in an ear. Yeah, yeah. An echo. He really is it, like the. Not an overt evil. Well, he's an overt evil, but he's not a... Uh, he, he is a subtle evil. He is yeah, not... exactly. As opposed to an overt evil. <laughs> no, no, he's no, a no, no, subtle no. overt. No. Slovert. This is Slovert. Slovert. Slovert evil. Yes. Yeah. No, no, and, and I... But I thought... It, when I really thought that he was he was a hunter, but now that you bring it out, he is he is a scavenger. He is trying to scavenge through these keys and try to find the key that would unlock him. And he's not he's not doing that by um, 
mutilating these people's families or these these people's lives. Right. You he's know. Got next. Yeah, he's trying family. to insinuate himself into their lives. Right. And um, whoever figures out what his little what his his whole plan is, he kills him. Yeah, he yeah. won't fight on fair ground. I mean, right. Plain and simple. Right. No, he really won't. He realizes that he is not stronger than people, so he waits until they're weak and then picks them off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I I when I first read this, I thought he was this super evil and you know, he could pick off anybody when he No, could. he's just an everyday mundane evil. Yeah. And that's the yeah. that's really the intriguing is. part of reading through this first trade to me is trying to figure out where that storyline's going to lead because um you hear the echo before she turns herself into a male and turns herself into Zach mention the fact that um, the the Locke father stole something from her, took took a piece of of her mind or her memory, and uh, the, and Zach eventually is trying him her is trying to get it back, um, which. There's a lot of stories that, especially these types of kind of Lovecraftian or Cthulian horror horror stories, where you find out that people. It's a common theme that the people at the beginning of the book who you think are good and are who think are righteous turn out to only be that way to make up for the evils of their past, right? So hmm. you kind of get this idea that the Locke's family father was involved in something in the past that that got him into some shit yeah. and was probably a bad decision at some point some that that resulted in some sort of evil that he was then trying to both escape and make up for over the course of his life sure so um i'm i'm very interested to to see where that leads not only for the for the Zach character but also to find out where it leads for um the kids like mm-hmm. you know at what point in this storyline are the kids going to find out what their father was involved in and how are they going to deal with that um you know how is how is that going to affect the family and how is that going to affect how they deal with Zach eventually you know those are those are the kinds of things that keep me wanting to come back and read the yeah, the further yeah, issues really of this comic book. So. And I think I think the cliffhanger at the end of it, where he finds another key, where you think it's only one key that there is in two this keys. whole. Well, they have there's two in the three, book. Three actually, they, because they have there's, two. there's gender, oh, yeah. there's uh, black door key, and there's the anywhere key. anywhere key. And now there's the head key. Maybe I should read the book. And the that's the yeah. Maybe you should read the book because yeah. at the very end, the like one of the last panels of the Which book also shows like the keys, right? The like yeah, the twenty or so keys that are available with, at with the, the end. So it's like holy with fuck. with the great Omega key. Yes, in, wow. in the middle. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's one thing I which disturbs I, me because of the fact that you would think that the anywhere key would be the really fucking powerful key, but clearly it's not because it's just yeah. tossed in with all the rest of them. Ah, the, but the anywhere key just puts you in any location. Yeah, you can't you can't manipulate people with an anywhere key. Well, that's you fair. can actually take somebody's memories out, and that and that's one of the great things about this is yeah, later you're just on, you in jumper how, with the enemy. You can see key. how the keys. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think I just broke Andy's brain. Yeah, he's broken. Which is is one of those things where you think, oh, this is a really powerful key, but then they come up with another key, and they do really interesting things with these keys too that you you really wouldn't think. And later on in the story, and this is the one thing I like is that 
they he plays this and he unfolds the plot that you want to read more of this. There's more questions like, well, I wonder how this happens and what's going to happen next. There's no and Illuminati key. There's that no makes there. me wonder. There is no Illuminati key? No, there is no Illuminati key. Check it out. It's oh. got the eye in the pyramid. Okay, there you go. Also vagina dentatiki. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm wow. She's fixated. I'm fixated She's, on that today. Yeah. On, on I'm just happy that I didn't say the foulest thing no, this episode. No, this one you got beat. You got beat to the punch. What did you Woo! say? Vagina zentata? <laughs> what? V- Good vagina job. what? Ventata. Akuna Matata. Akuna Matata. That's no, what I said. means no That's words. That's what I said. It's, it's the yeah. key that the brings key Walt no Disney worries. back from death. <laughs> <laughs> Zombie Disney. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the Disney head with the spider legs that eventually yes. you know, tries to kill Elian Gonzalez. And ends anyway. up being in the Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, people, yes, no? What do you think? Yes. yes. Absolutely yes. Definite yes, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan. Um, I, now I've talked to several people who've read further on in the comic, and they say that it gets a little disjointed later on. Book three, but that's um, knowing. So. so so knowing, uh, I'll bring this around back to something that I had meant to mention at the beginning of the show and failed to. That I'm also in the process of reading the Dark Tower series, uh, the books, not the comic books. Um, so knowing. I wanted to kind of bring in some comparisons because the Dark Tower series, I don't know if any of you guys have read it. I know Andy has. Have either of you guys no. read it? Um, uh, let me guess. It's uh, about 800 pages long and a lot of character development. <laughs> <laughs> it's seven books long. Oh, I know. Um, oh, I know. And it's actually really, really good. Anyway, um, it is clear to me that that the King family in some degree has a fixation on doors. Um, because the Dark Tower it's series symbolic. is a, and that, that is a easy shit. symbology. Yeah. It, it, it okay. is. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but it's not something like. I, it's just it. It's very similar symbology between the Dark Tower and the lock and lock and key, like the way they handle them. Um, but like even in even in the Dark Tower and in several other stories, you said this is going to be six books of six issues each. I don't mind it getting a little disjointed at some point because eventually it'll come back it'll around. Back in, it'll yeah. make sense at some point, right? I think it's going to be similar fine. to what happened with Chu, where at the beginning of, you know, they're like, hey, this is the situation right now. And you're like, how do you get there? And then it takes you to that And then point. it goes, oh, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And then, yeah. Here's what the fuck just happened in stereo. Yeah. And, I mean, I especially with a with a scenario like this that they have set up where you have this, this house and the... the 20 or 30 plus keys and the various different things that could happen like I can understand it getting disjointed especially with multiple carries characters getting a hold of multiple keys and the struggle for those keys and the doors that you know, where the doors lead and stuff um, could get pretty wonky mm-hmm. at a at a certain point and um, but then as long as as long as Joe Hill finds a way to tie it up at the end then I'm fine because I know a lot of authors that can't um, his dad <laughs> well, <laughs> oof! Like I at least I have not read further than the first issue or the first trade. The first trade oh, really? is is really good. I haven't yet. It I'm, gets better. I'm one issue into the second trade. I own the first three, be- and I bought the first. No, that's hand I, to the face. Anyway, go, go. I go. bought two and three solely based on on the first one. I bought the first one and I read through it and I liked it so much that I'm like, I will buy whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I would suggest that to anybody that's interested in any kind of, like, if you like kind of that 
Cthulian horror Lovecraftian style. It's not even mm. intensely Lovecraftian. It's not yeah. intensely it's Lovecraftian. It's Aside very from the fact that they live in Lovecraft. Yeah, I mean, Low it's... intensity. No, I, I think it is actually really Lovecraftian because the horror comes from what you don't see, not what you see. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's, it's very... It comes from what it's could happen. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's what your expectations and your ideas of what the worst possible thing for any given situation could be mm-hmm. is what determines what you think happens in that scene. That's true. That is the essence of H.P. Lovecraft's writings. And I just there are hope plenty that if of it, things man was not meant to know. Absolutely. I just hope that if anybody in this book ever finds a book, they just burn it. Just right on the spot. It's like, fuck it. It's Find a, a book. book. Don't burn trust them. <laughs> Find a cave. Blow up the entrance. Yep. Right. Is that a Lovecraft joke there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm uninitiated, so I don't really know about Cthulhu or anything like that. That... So I'll give you my copy of Call of Cthulhu, and you can read it and get a primer. Yeah, I, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much all I know is people go insane after they see something they shouldn't see, and then you can you watch know. John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness too. That's a pretty oh, good. Oh, that is a great movie. Is, or, or you could just read is, the twelve-page story, The Color Out of Space. Yes, yeah. yes. What Lovecraft stuff is is I'm not going to say excellent because sometimes the stuff is kind of trash racist yeah. it's excellent very very yeah. racist oh yeah very early, racist. early 19th century yeah and I can't say that but 20th century i'm sorry but the uh, themes that it create that he created are are some of the some of the best like fodder for horror um as is proven by mm-hmm. lock and key um lovecraft may have created this kind of genre of gothic horror mm. other people have clearly improved upon it since his time it's kind of the same thing you know another author of his generation robert e howard robert e howard was a nut job like complete and utter whack job his original stories of conan were kind of pulpy trash since then the kind of swords and sandals genre has been improved upon multiple times by other people so you can get this book in several different ways. Uh, the individual issues are available, but they're kind of expensive if you can find them. They're, you know, I'm not, not super expensive, but I think I saw issue one is up to around 18 to 20-ish, you know. Um, so if you're really interested in it, then you can probably get the individual issues. But my suggestion would be to get it in one of the multiple different versions of the trade that have come out. Um, there's a soft cover trade that retails for 19.99, but you can usually get it on Amazon for cheaper than that but um i'm, I'm not going to advocate that i would rather you see you go to your local comic shop and spend I however much you're going to spend on it i should point out and when i went last sunday they were out of stock but hopefully they were smart and reordered that uh lock and key number one is arcane comics's book of the month and they're retailing the soft cover trade for 13 instead of 19 nice. all through april so yeah if you live in the seattle area go up to arcane comics in ballard and you know spend 13 Call bucks on the soft to make cover. sure they have it yeah. but they're an awesome shop filled with delicious things anyway. so Yeah. Uh, there's a hardcover trade, which is twenty nine ninety nine. There's actually three different versions of the hardcover trade. Um, but the most current one you can get for cover is $19.99. There is a limited edition hardcover trade for 50 bucks. That's like a really nice, what? No, does that, is that the one in the slip sleeve? Yes. Okay. Um, that one is hard to find because it was it was a limited run and it's uh, you can find it occasionally, but it's not really worth it. You can just get the regular hardcover for twenty nine ninety nine and probably cheaper depending on your local comic shop. But um, oh, so this is the best thing that IDW publishes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bet that this book will be a, a 
a little harder to find in the coming months now that it has been nominated for several Eisners. And it's yeah. getting turned Again. into a TV show. And it's getting turned into a TV wow. show. But that also usually means that comic shops will be more willing to stock it and will have it and will continually reorder it. Yeah. So go grab it. It is absolutely worth it. The hardcovers are very attractive. Then yes. they have nice little ribbon bookmarks. Yep. Nice. Every single comic hardcover needs to have the ribbon bookmark in, in the binding. Like... The ones that I have that have that are spectacular. I wish every book had that because it seems like it would be relatively simple to incorporate. But did you guys have anything else to say about Lock and Key before we move on to other stuff? Other stuff? Just go get them. Just go get yeah. them. They're, They're it's good stuff. So uh, one of the things that we have decided that we're going to do for the show is we are going to um, we're going to have the show planned out at least two episodes in advance. Uh, the next two episodes of the show that I know we're doing, we're doing for the next show, we are doing the unwritten. And then for the show after that, we are doing the last days of American crime. Uh, so for two shows from now, what we're going to do for now is we're going to run a contest. This first contest is just going to be a drawing and it is going to be a drawing for uh, the comic book that we are reading two inches, or the the trade paperback that we are reading two episodes from now, which is Last Days of American Crime. Here, here's how it's going to work. The contest for this episode is going to be real simple. It's going to be a drawing, and it is going to be based on emails. If you want to participate in this contest, please simply email us at tradesecrets at geekerific.com. Put Last Days of American Crime in the subject line. Send us your name and your address. Tell us you are interested. And then we are going to draw names out of a hat. And when those names are drawn, whoever wins the contest is going to win a free copy of the Last Days of American Crime trade paperback. By Recommender and and the artist whom I can't remember the name of. We should probably figure this out for future episodes. Here's the catch. I'm going to put a catch in here. We have to get at least 10 responses to this before anyone qualifies. So if we don't get 10 separate emails from 10 separate people with 10 separate addresses, then we are not going to do this contest. We will announce the winner of the contest on episode four and then we will be sending this book out sometime between now and the the last days of american crime episodes so that the person who won wins the contest gets a chance to read the book before we do it on the show again i will reiterate the contest is for a free copy of the last days of american crime if you're interested email us at trade secrets at geekerific.com and make sure to include your name and address. If you do not cl- include your address, you will not be eligible for the contest because we won't know who the fuck to mail it to. And that so, will not count as one of the 10. And that will not count as one of the 10. We need to get at least 10 responses via the email account. I will also post this to Twitter and uh, Facebook so that uh, people can participate. Joel, you cannot enter. 
Why not? Yeah, being part of the show, unfortunately, you can't enter. And it was your recommendation, so, so you better already own the book. Uh, so, and going forward, we are going to friend. do this for every episode of the show, and we're going to do it for Ooh. two episodes. The way it's going to work is that on each episode, we are going to have a contest for the episode two episodes in advance from that. So we're going to have the, we're going to announce the contest on one show. We're going to announce the winner on the next show, and then the show after that, we are going to actually cover the book that we gave away for the contest. Enter into the drawing. Uh, deadline of what day? So you have two weeks. So the deadline is the 27th. Please get your uh, answers in before the 27th, and we will um, we will make sure and and uh, do the drawing and have the winner to announce on the show that records on the 27th. And there we go. And hopefully, as time goes on and we do more of these contests, uh, this will this will be a lot smoother and won't take a full like seven minutes for me to actually get some fucking words out of my mouth. Send us your address, and we might give you a free comic. That's the Yay. simplest way to say it. Yay! Um, One unlucky winner will be chosen to get the collected works of Alan Moore's Neonomicon. <laughs> oh God, we should really like pick the worst thing possible and like give somebody have somebody get somebody a a crappy prize too yeah there's gonna be a door prize yeah (laughs) seriously oh i'll I'll find something oh we could we that would be super easy like like the first five issues of young blood or something like that would be yeah the the entire run of shadowhawk 2 (laughs) (laughs) there we go it's the gift that keeps on giving superman versus muhammad ali (laughs) Oh. oh, holy shit, I actually have a copy of Mr. T and the T-Force we could yes. give out. Right there, that's our first door prize. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Just came out this week. Amazing, uh, wait, not amazing, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> amazing I'm Fantastic sorry. Issue 3. Yeah. No, fantastic uh, Amazing Josh Issue Whedon's, 4. Uh, the hardcover of Josh Whedon's run. Joss, Joss, Joss. Joss. It's Leif, not Leaf. Scotch. Scotch. <laughs> this bottle was full Ooh, at the start of this scotch, podcast. Yeah, scotch, we've scotch, we've scotch. we've uh, we've gone through quite a bit of Johnny Walker Green Label. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. Oh, whatever. Much. But uh, no, Josh Sweden's run on X Men. Oh yeah, the hardcover. Yeah, the hardcover. The hardcover the omnibus for astonishing X Men. Thank you. I could not one through twenty four. Really? That is astonishing X Men. Yeah. Like, that is. There's a, like seventeen X books. Yeah, that is a great uh, that well, is a great run. I will kick you in <laughs> the vagina. <laughs> oh, they found me out. Anyway. Man, that would give you such a headache. <laughs> <laughs> so, rate us on iTunes. Uh, please go on there, uh, dump dump a rating on there at the very least. But if you can rev- if you can uh, review us, I know Snicker has already reviewed us on iTunes, which is awesome. Please review us. Uh, we are still not on the Zune marketplace, but that's because, like I said, with After the Fact, it took two and a half, three months to get us on the Zune marketplace and several submissions. So I'm going to keep submitting at least you know once every couple of days until we get on there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. The main Twitter feed is at Trade Secrets Pod. Uh, my personal Twitter feed is at Geek Elite. Andy is at Mathtastrophe, and Trophy is spelled like a trophy. Uh, Anne is at Ann Bean Tweets. Joel... Joel's still so we'll 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 try and get Joel uh, even we'll do it like we did with Joel's Patrick twat. and we'll get <laughs> yes <laughs> we'll get Joel a Twitter at feed that he never used at, my twat. at Joel's twat yes. um 
You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trade secrets podcast. You can follow us on Tumblr at trade secrets podcast.tumblr.com. I wish I could have gotten a shorter uh, Tumblr address, but TSP was already taken. Trade secrets always was already taken. TS podcast was already taken. So I stuck with trade secrets podcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you can join the forums on the website at www.geekerific.com slash forums. Geekerific is spelled G-E-E-K-E-R-I-F-I-C. Um, and if you want to be a part of the show, you can post questions or comments to any of those any of those uh, portals. Thank you for Russell E at Russell E. Nance on Twitter for, for submitting a question for this show. We hope that more people will do so. Uh, and you can also email us questions at tradesecrets at geekerific.com. Uh, we will use just about any question or comment that we get, even if it's negative. So fucking, fucking send us hate mail. God, I can't. I, I, I'm praying for the day that we get hate mail and actually be, be able to handle it. Oh, it'll be so amazing. Oh, I actually want to do that as a contest. Whoever sends me the best piece of hate mail. That it's, would be. <laughs> we'll get something awesome so thank you man thank you thank you joel thank you Ah. i am luke this has been episode three of the trade secrets podcast and we're out